Matthew 6, 33, Jesus says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. The subject that I have for this morning's message for you today is one of the most prominent subjects in the Bible. It's addressed in over 100 verses in the New Testament and many places in the Old Testament. And it's profoundly relevant to the life of believers. And yet it's something that I think many of us have at most a vague or imprecise understanding of. And so I would like to dive into the subject this morning of the kingdom of God. Mentioned here in this verse, seek ye first the kingdom of God. The word kingdom, it uh, is translated from a Greek word, basileia, which means rule, reign. It means the kingship or the royal power. So if we're literally considering this phrase and what it means, it's talking about the kingship of God. It's talking about the rule, the reign of God. And so you can imagine why that would be such a broad and impactful and relevant subject for us when we consider the reign of God. I'll read a passage from Psalm 145 that speaks about the kingdom of God uh, from an uh, Old Testament perspective. It says, The Lord is good to all, and His tender mercies are over all His works. All thy works shall praise thee, O Lord, and thy saints shall bless thee. They shall speak of the glory of thy kingdom and talk of thy power to make known to the sons of men his mighty acts and the glorious majesty of his kingdom. Thy kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and thy dominion endureth throughout all generations. That's Psalm 145, verses 9 to 13. Thy kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and thy dominion endureth throughout all generations. Through that parallelism, we see that kingdom and dominion are tied together, related together, speaking about the same thing, the reign of God, the the scope of his authority, the extent of it, something that encompasses his entire creation, and something that lasts Throughout all time and all eternity. And there's so many uh, different aspects of this. And uh, then we might ask, well, when we come to the New Testament, the subject of the kingdom of God is such a central subject. It's, it's announced as being at hand, at coming, and as, as soon coming. And so then what does it mean? What is the character that it takes on in the New Testament? And so there's so many subjects that we could ask about the kingdom. We could talk about the timing of the kingdom. When does it begin? How long does it last? We could talk about the nature of the kingdom of God, where the children of the kingdom are spoken of. We could speak about seeking the kingdom, or about entering the kingdom, or about receiving the kingdom, about inheriting the kingdom. There's all many different subjects that are spoken of in the scriptures. But for this morning, I want to Motivate the subject by speaking about the importance of the kingdom of God. The importance in particular as a subject for your consideration, meditation, and seeking. And I want to do so by considering uh, three things. First of all, the prominence of the subject as it's taught in the New Testament. And then uh, the relevance of it to our lives. 
because the kingdom is often spoken of in relationship to people, to the people of God, to people in general. And so there's so many different ways that we can see how the kingdom must be relevant to us because of all the different relationships that are described of people to the kingdom of God in the Bible. And then lastly, the preeminence of the kingdom, why it ought to be uh, first, why, why its importance is expressed to us through the scriptures. And we'll look at several scriptures that speak about these things. Um, I said when I introduced this that the concept of the kingdom of God is something that many of us have maybe a vague understanding of, but we know it must be important because of how much it is spoken of, how central it is in the teaching of the Bible. So, so let us consider first the prominence of its teaching in the Bible, in particular the New Testament. If we go to the very beginning pages of the New Testament, we see the ministry of John the Baptist. John the Baptist, who is sent as a forerunner of the Messiah. He who is sent to prepare the way for the coming of Jesus Christ. He had a a critical role in God's plan of delivering his message to his people and preparing his people for the coming fulfillment of God's purposes in his son, Jesus Jesus Christ. And John the Baptist came and he came preaching. And when it describes the content of his preaching, here's one of the ways it's described. Matthew 3, verse 1 and 2. In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now I'll assert, but won't prove to you today, maybe in a future message, that the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God are speaking of the same thing. Let me just give you one um, metaphor to describe that. Back then, if you were to speak about the empire of Caesar or the empire of Rome, you're speaking about the same thing in a different way. And that's how I believe these these phrases are used. But there's more uh, proof and evidence for that from the Bible itself. But consider kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God is speaking about the same thing. God dwells in the heavens. God is the ruler of heaven. Heaven is his dwelling place in his domain. And as he administers his authority and his kingdom, he does so from heaven. It's his uh, domain. It's his authority. And so John the Baptist came preaching, repent ye for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So the forerunner of Jesus Christ Uh, If we were to summarize his message, it was repentance in preparation for the coming of the kingdom of heaven. Well, then a little while later, Jesus comes and begins his earthly ministry, preaching the word of God. And here's how it describes it in Mark 1, 14 and 15. Now, after that, John was put in prison. Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. And saying, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye, and believe the gospel. So there, if we were to try to summarize what was the content of what Jesus was teaching, it describes it as he was preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. Or to say it another way, he was preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. And then when it elaborates on the content of his teaching, repentance, faith, 
and the coming of the kingdom of God. And these things are all tied intricately together. So we see again, it's prominent. We see the importance of the role that repentance associates with the kingdom of God. Well, then when Jesus sent out his 12 disciples to uh, go out and preach, what did he send them out to preach? Um, Matthew 10, 5 and 7. These 12, Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, and into any city of the Samaritans enter ye not. But go ye rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and as ye go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Hopefully, Already, we're getting the idea. This, this, is, this is centrally important to the message of Jesus, of John the Baptist, of Jesus' disciples after him. Not only that, when Jesus took his disciples aside, very beginning of the book of Acts, he takes his disciples and he's preparing them for their mission following his death and resurrection. And it says uh, at the beginning of Acts, as Luke begins, this former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up, after that he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So there, Jesus, after his death and then his resurrection, he appears to his disciples on numerous occasions. He proves to them that he is truly risen from the dead. He proves to them that he's not just a ghost. Remember, he's, he says, get me some food and I'll eat it in front of you. He demonstrates to them, I am truly risen from the dead. And he appeared to them. It says he appeared to over 500 of his disciples during that period of time before he was finally taken up to heaven. And during that time, he demonstrated and proved to them that he rose from the grave. And this became essentially important to the witness that they had in the gospel. They were to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And truly, they were witnesses, both of his life and his ministry and his death, but also of his resurrection from the dead. And, and their testimony and their lives and their willingness to sacrifice their lives, endure persecution, endure hardship, and many of them endure martyrdom for the truth of the message that they preached is, is evidence and a testimony to us that echoes down to this very day of the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ because they saw him and they knew that he had risen from the dead. And after he was taken up from them, you remember what it says of where he went. It says he was taken up into heaven and he sat down on the right hand of God. He sat down at the right hand of his father upon his throne. And it says that all things were made subject to him. So he was he was brought into the place of his kingship. And so. Uh, we won't dive into that with great depth, but that was an important moment in the progress and the purpose of God's kingdom because the king, the promised king, had now been seated on his throne in heaven to reign. And so when we 
think about the subject of the kingdom of God. We think about Jesus Christ, central to that subject. Jesus Christ is the king that reigns in the kingdom of God. So the subject of the kingdom of God is about him. The good news of the kingdom of God is about Jesus Christ and what he's done. And this was foreshadowed all throughout the Old Testament through types and shadows and examples. One that comes to mind is that of King David. King David was in many ways a a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. Jesus is called the son of David. He was, according to the flesh, descended from David. He was descended from the tribe of Judah, of which David was. And he was going to sit on David's throne. And David rose to a place of kingship over the nation of Israel, over the 12 tribes. But before he ascended to his throne and to his glory of his reign, he went through great suffering. He went through great trial, exile, persecution, trouble. And in that, he foreshadowed Jesus, how before Jesus would ascend to his throne, he would go through the cross, the suffering of the cross and death on the cross. And that was necessary for the accomplishment of God's plan. In God's plan, it was according to his purpose that Christ should die. For the sins of his people. And so the the Old Testament foreshadowed and spoke of the kingdom of God. But it was not fully and clearly revealed the necessity that the Messiah would suffer and die in in order to obtain the fulfillment of God's purpose in his kingdom. Which involved the redemption of his people through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And so as as it describes Jesus uh, discussing now with his disciples and he's meeting with them for several days, several weeks, preparing them, he's going to he's going to ascend to heaven. And now in the sense of on here on the earth, they're going to take over the mission in his name, according to his authority, by the power of his spirit. They're going to go and they're going to carry on the message of the gospel. And so Jesus spends these days with them, preparing them and teaching them and instructing them. And the content of his teaching is the kingdom of God, teaching them the things pertaining, it says, to the kingdom of God. Now, as they go forth and they speak, it talks about Philip. Uh, going down to Samaria and preaching, Acts 8.12. Uh, they believe Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. And again, those two things, they're tied together. They're united together. You cannot understand the kingdom of God without understanding the name of Jesus Christ. His name, his power, his authority. His identity, all those things are tied together. And so in Philippians, when it says the, the, the confession of the believer in Jesus Christ is to say, Jesus Christ is Lord. That's to express his kingship, his lordship, his dominion, his reign, that he, that he has authority over my life. He has authority over this world. It belongs to him. It ought to submit to him. And so 
They uh, believed the things that Philip was preaching concerning the kingdom of God. Uh, Later, the very end of the book of Acts, Paul, um, in house arrest, receiving disciples and those hearing God's word, he was teaching them. It says he dwelt two years in his own hired house, received all that came unto him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence No man forbidding him. So from the beginning to the end of the narrative described in the New Testament, and we won't go into it, but later on in the letters, in several occasions, the content of the teaching was the subject of the kingdom of God. So we see its prominence. Well, uh, next, consider its relevance to the lives of God's people. The subject of the kingdom of God is not merely some remote abstract concept uh, that we're just told about, but it's something that is directly related to us. Now consider, um, as, I was, as I was studying out this subject, I was struck by how many different action verbs were related of people to the kingdom of God. Uh, for example, people are described as seeking the kingdom of God. We read that verse, seek ye first the kingdom of God. That's in Luke as well. And all these things shall be added unto you. Seek ye the kingdom of God. People are described as receiving the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child shall not enter therein. Which raises another one. People are described as entering the kingdom of God. Uh, uh, Acts 14.22 Confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. People are described as waiting for the kingdom of God. This is how it characterized the Pharisee Joseph of Arimathea, who was a righteous man who had Jesus buried in his tomb. Um, Joseph of Arimathea, an honorable counselor, which also waited for the kingdom of God, came and went in boldly unto Pilate and craved the body of Jesus. Mark fifteen forty three. Um, many ver- verses we've seen already describe how people preach the kingdom of God. When, when Jesus came preaching, it says he was preaching the gospel of the kingdom. John the Baptist preaching the gospel of the kingdom or preaching that the kingdom of heaven was at hand. The good news about the kingdom of God. This was good news, an announcement to the world that God in his plan was doing something special in that time. This is another important thing for us to recognize about the kingdom of God. Because you can think about the kingdom and the reign of God in its general sense, in which case it is something that is undiminished, is something that is always present. God always reigns over his creation. God always has authority over what he has made. God uh, is sovereign, always was, always will be. So there's never any uh, time in which God does not rule and reign over his creation. But then that raises the question when we come to the New Testament and it's saying again and again, the kingdom of God is at hand. Or Jesus speaks about the kingdom of God coming with power. 
the kingdom of God, he says, is, is within you. Or the kingdom of God is uh, in your midst. Or the kingdom of God has come unto you. He said that to, to those that accused him of casting out demons by the power of Beelzebub. In other words, they were saying that he was come and he was casting out demons. And the way he had the authority and the power to do that, it came from Satan. He was, he was, he was using Satan's power. And he said, that doesn't make any sense. He says, if, 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 Satan's, if Satan is divided against himself, if his kingdom is divided against himself, then it will fall. He says, no one can spoil a strong man's house unless he first ties up the strong man. There's an image for you. You know, you have a house ruled by by a powerful man and you want to go in and you want to take that that guy's valuables. Well, you can't do that unless you first bind him up, tie him up. Take dominion over him first and then spoil his house. Why does Jesus use that analogy? Because that in the spiritual realm is what he was and is doing. Spoiling Satan's dominion. Satan had been given a certain, suffered to have a certain amount of dominion. And he was exercising that. And part of that was demons possessing people. And Jesus comes along and he casts out those demons. And what is he showing? That the power of Satan had been bound. And that he was more powerful than Satan. And he was spoiling his house. He was taking what had previously been under Satan's dominion. And taking it for his own possession. And so... All of these types of statements are in the New Testament. And, and so, so we might ask, well, if God is always reigning, then what does it mean to say that the kingdom of God has come or is at hand? Well, it's, it, it's cluing us in that in that time, God was beginning to do something special in his plan. That the kingdom of God was going to come into a time of fruition Unlike what had come before in the new covenant. And, and that's something, Lord willing, have to get into at another time. But um, we see how God, when it speaks in the New Testament about the kingdom of God, is talking about a special age or time in God's administration of his rule. That his rule was coming to earth in a way and with a power and with an extent which it hadn't before that time. Uh, The prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray, the model he gave them, also speaks of the kingdom of God. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's will in heaven, it's done perfectly, willingly, obediently, joyfully. It's not resisted. It's not fought against. But here on earth, our experience is that though God reigns over the earth, yet the creation is in rebellion against God. Mankind is in rebellion against God. Sin, rebellion against God. Even, even, uh, even the, God's people at times were tempted to go against God's will, to rebel against God's will. And so we pray, God's kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
And so we see how that prayer speaks about God's kingdom coming in the earth to a greater fruition and fulfillment where God's reign is manifested and obeyed even more fully than it was before. So it speaks of waiting for. It speaks about uh, people seeing the kingdom of God. Many places, Jesus said, But I tell you the truth, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the kingdom of God. Or I think of in John, where Jesus says, No man can see the kingdom of God unless he be born again, born from above. That, that is also something that relates us to the kingdom of God. It speaks about... People inheriting the kingdom of God. Matthew twenty five thirty four. Come, ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Speaks about people instructed unto the kingdom of God. Every scribe which is instructed unto the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is a householder, which bringeth forth out of his treasure things old and new. We also have it speaking of those who sit down in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is described uh, in parables and in metaphors and examples as like a great feast, like a wedding feast, where people come and they sit down at the table. And this, this image conveys to us a, a place and a time, an experience of joy, of abundance, of, of overflowing blessings coming from God, of celebration. This is the imagery that's given to us to describe the kingdom of God. So it's a pleasant thing for us to consider. It's an encouraging and inspiring thing for us to consider. God's kingdom. And, 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 and though I said that it's uh, the idea of the timing of God's kingdom is something... Uh, to go into more detail in a future message, I want you to at least understand today, if nothing else, that the kingdom of God is not speaking about something that is entirely in our future. It's speaking about something that is a present reality. The kingdom of God in its uh, fulfillment and fuller sense is something that came into being began to come into being when Jesus Christ came into this world. That's why they were saying, I mean, we understand that from the language. When you go back, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of God is, a, is come. All these types of phrases at hand, that means about to take place, about to be here. It's right at the door. It's coming. It was coming then, and now it has come. We live in the reality of it, the, the truth of it. So it, I'm not talking about something uh, out in the distant future. When it says the kingdom of heaven, I, I don't want you to think about that as just, that's just speaking about uh, what happens after we die, where we go when we die. No, this is speaking about something that has come with power to the earth and that we can be part of now. Uh, sometimes... Uh, people ask, what's the difference between the kingdom of God and the church or the churches? What's the difference? Well, here's, here's one way to think about it. One is a, is a question of language or, or emphasis. Remember what I said at the beginning? Kingdom it speaks of dominion. It speaks about reign, rule, authority, kingship. So when we speak about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of Christ... 
Because it's also called the kingdom of Christ or the kingdom of his dear son. When we speak about the kingdom of Christ, we're speaking about his reign, his rule. When we speak about the church, the language is literally talking about the people. Church means the congregation, the assembly. So the church speaks about the people and the church is is under the reign of Christ. The church is in submission to the reign of Christ and it's a means through which his reign is exercised in this world and it's a mean through which means through which redeemed people receive the blessings and experience the benefits of his reign and his rule but when we speak about the kingdom of God we're not talking about something completely separate from the concept of the church but the emphasis is on the reign of God through his son Jesus Christ in the world that's something that we live in the presence and reality of today. And God is working that reign out and extending it, expanding it, and living it out in the world now through his people, through their service to him, and by his power, the power of and presence of his spirit among his people, God is working out his reign in this world. And that's a very important and critical subject, as hopefully we're seeing. And it's a joyful one. It's a celebratory one. Jesus said, uh, Luke 13, 29, And they shall come from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south and shall sit down in the kingdom of God. The, the ideas of something of great extent, something that would involve people from all nations, people from every kindred, tribe, and tongue, people not just in that, in that context, not just from Israel, from the 12 tribes, but from the nations all around, the east, the west, the north, the south, and they're all going to come, de- come together, and they're going to sit down at this table together and celebrate in God's presence With the abundance of the blessings that he has poured out. Luke 14, 15. And when one of them sat at meat with him, heard these things, he said unto him, Blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. It's a time of of abundance, of being fed, of being uh, nourished by God's blessings. And then in the epistles, it speaks about uh, several other things. Being translated into the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is something in no uncertain terms in a number of places. It describes as requiring the power of God to take people and put them into his kingdom. It takes the power of God. No man can even see or no man can enter the kingdom of God without being born from above. There is spiritual power of God at work necessary to take somebody into the kingdom. And here in Colossians, it says of the believer that they've been delivered from the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom of his dear son. There's going from one domain of authority into another. And those, those ultimately are really the only possibilities, the only options. There's the domain, the dominion, the power of darkness, of evil. Or there's the domain, the reign of God. 
And we're either under one or the other. We're either servants to one or the other. And for the believer, you've been delivered from the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom of his son. It speaks about people being called unto the kingdom of, of God. First uh, Thessalonians 2.12 That ye would walk wor- worthy of God who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. God has called you unto his kingdom and his glory. Consider that is the reality of your state, of the state of the believer in Jesus Christ. You, you, have, you have been delivered, you have been redeemed, you have been called to his kingdom and his glory by the power and the calling of God. That is the reality of your state. You have a high calling, you have a great calling. The kingdom of God and the glory of God. That is the purpose for which you were made. And that is the purpose for which God has remade you in Jesus Christ. Redeemed you from sin. Purified you by the blood of Christ. And now because of that reality. Because of what God has done in you, for you and called you to. Here's the exhortation. Walk worthy of God. Walk in accordance, or as it says in another place, as ye have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk ye in him. Let your actions and your words, your manner of life that you live here below be in agreement with and accordance with the calling that God has put on your life and what he has done for you. That's the exhortation. So we're called unto the kingdom of God. Uh, It speaks about people being counted worthy of the kingdom of God. 2 Thessalonians 1.5, which is manifest token of the righteous judgment of God, that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God, for which ye also suffer. So we could add another one. People are described as suffering for the kingdom of God. Uh, Many have and many will suffer for the sake of the kingdom of God. But there's nothing, there's no greater cause for which you could suffer than, than the manifestation and the living out of God's reign in this world. Because that is the greatest source of blessing, peace, joy, and glory that this world has ever or ever will see. The reign of Jesus Christ in this world. So it's worthy of suffering for. It's a worthy cause. And uh, last of the examples, we'll see that people are also described as being preserved unto the kingdom of God. The preserving power of God is at work for, for preserving his people in and unto the kingdom of God. 2 Timothy 4.18, uh, Paul speak, speaking in uh, first person, it's personal to him. He's saying, and the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So we see that the subject of the kingdom of God is something that is prominent all throughout the Bible. Uh, Particularly, we focused on the New Testament. I said over a hundred verses speak about the kingdom of God in the New Testament. And, and it's 
mentioned or alluded to in other places uh, indirectly as well. So it is everywhere in the teaching of the disciples, of Jesus himself, of John the Baptist before. We've also seen its relevance, how the kingdom of God is not something uh, unrelated or unconnected with us, but is something that is directly connected with people. And, and Lord willing, uh, someday we could dive more into those things, receiving the kingdom, entering the kingdom, uh, preaching the kingdom. So many different things that we see relate people to the kingdom of God. And then last, I'll close with this. The Bible explicitly speaks itself about the preeminence of the kingdom of God. And that verse that I began with, Matthew 6 33, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. The context of that verse is about the cares of this world, the legitimate cares of this world. Let me emphasize, because he's not just talking about uh, caring about unimportant things or uh, things that don't matter. He's, he's talking about things as basic as what we'll eat. What will wear, food, shelter, the essentials of life he's speaking of. And he says, before that, more important than that, says what you are to seek is the kingdom of God and his righteousness. He says, seek it, but he doesn't just say to seek it. He says, seek ye first the kingdom of God. And his righteousness. First can really mean two different things. First in in chronological order. And we seek this before we seek other things. And first can also mean first in importance. And I think it carries both here. Both senses here in this verse. Seek it first. It ought to be the first thing you give consideration to. The kingdom of God, the reign of Jesus Christ in the world. If you're considering the events that are going on in the world, consider first the authority and reign of Jesus Christ over all these things. If you're considering the order and direction of your life, decisions, course of action, what you might need to do or obtain or or have, consider first the reign of Jesus Christ in this world and over your life. It is of first importance. It is of first importance because the kingdom of God is about the king, Jesus Christ. The kingdom of God, as we saw before, the kingdom of God would not come into its fulfillment except first the king would suffer. And the king would die on the cross. And he would shed his blood, offering a perfect sacrifice for sin. Because one of the mysteries of the kingdom, which was foreshadowed and foretold, but not fully revealed until the coming of Jesus Christ, was the necessity for the kingdom of God to appear in its fullness. That part of that plan of the kingdom of God was that God would redeem a people for himself. That by his gracious, redemptive power, he would save them from their sins and redeem them 
unto God so that they might be brought into his kingdom and his authority and live out his purpose and his reign in this world. May God bless you.